6 a.m. on the West Coast, 9 a.m. on the East Coast of America. It's 2 p.m. in London, 7.30 in Mumbai, India, 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan, and in Malaysia, it's 19.12. I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants. <sighs> welcome in. Hello, hello. Welcome to our fans on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch.tv, and of course, Rumble.com. We made it again to Rumble.com. We were a little wonky in the beginning, but we made it. So welcome in to all of our Rumble viewers. You can also find us on Locals. You can find me on Getter. Uh, I have an account over there. All the links are in our description down below in our show notes. Uh, you'll also find the links to, at the top of the show notes, all the stuff we're going to talk about tonight, so you can read the full article yourself. We encourage you always to go over and check out the articles. And uh, yeah, we've uh, we've been doing this for 169 shows now. Can you believe it? Over a year. I sit here three nights a week and talk to myself. <laughs> We're also, of course, a podcast, and thank you so much. It's amazing the amount of downloads and listens we get on Spotify, uh, GeoSavin, uh, Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, uh, all the places, wherever you have your podcast, look for us. You'll find this little show logo. Just type in I'm Not Wearing Pants or Jay Sheldon. And you'll find us and just hit that subscribe button. You'll get our podcast. It's the same thing you're listening to right now. It's just the audio part of our live stream. And uh, any time you want to catch up or look at a specific show we've done, they're all up there. I encourage you mostly to head to rumble.com because that's where you'll find absolutely all of them. Facebook also has them. YouTube, I believe they do on YouTube. I think all of our shows are there, plus some extras. And by the way, if you're there, please hit the subscribe button. Really need some YouTube, YouTube subscribers over there. And uh, Twitch does not save our shows. You can find the last week or two, and then they're gone. So, But that's all right. Three other places you can find it and get it and save it and listen to it if you want to. If you want to. No, uh, no obligations. All right. It's time... Uh, to find out what's happening in a little girl's life who had a very exciting evening. Miko Update. <laughs> Miko Update. She had quite a day. She's doing well. She's here. She's home. She's hanging out. And uh, hang on and I will share something with you. Here we go. This was from today. Uh, just a little while. That's one of my bonsai in the background. But uh, just a uh, maybe four or five hours ago, this was the little lady on our front yard. And here is why she looks so happy. Because she had a play date with Nico. Yeah. Nico was so happy. They actually, the, the last time they had a play date, because if you don't know, we're thinking about maybe Nico and Miko might, uh, you know, Tie the knot, if you know what I mean. We're thinking about it. It's a good possibility, but we'll see what happens. Uh, anyway, uh, she came over this time, Nico, he, I should say, and they were just kind of 
they weren't playing much. They were almost ignoring each other for a while. Here's uh, they, they do look very much alike. Not so much if you see them straight on, but there's Miko in the background and there's Nico. Um, yeah, that, there you go. There's a good side-by-side -side comparison of, uh, of Nico and Miko. And yes, we had treats. That's exactly why they struck a pose. That's the only reason that they struck a pose. Uh, Nico went in the house and actually played with some of Miko's toys and went into Miko's house. This is Miko's house. And Miko couldn't care less. She was very resource guarding previously with other animals, other dogs. Uh, she would not let you look at one of her toys. But today, no, she did great. She let uh, Nico go right in her house. Nico was playing with some of the toys. And uh, here's a bit of the, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Nico's mom picked up Miko and Nico was so jealous. Look at this. He's going crazy because uh, Nico's mom is holding our Miko. And he was absolutely jealous. <laughs> it was great. They had a great time. They had a lot of fun. And uh, there's Nico's dad with Miko. I know, Nico and Miko. It gets very confusing, right? Yeah, so there's, uh, there's the gang. They had a great time. It was a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, we will uh, we'll get them together again. Mostly, they were just kind of out of out of energy, I think, because it was the end of the day, so they didn't uh, they didn't do a lot of interacting, but some. So, had a great time, and uh, yeah, she's a, she's an amazing little girl, and he's an amazing little guy. All right, you want to buy the world? It's available. It's one of those things that if you have to ask, you can't afford it. In fact, I don't think hardly anybody could afford to buy the world. However, the very cool folks at World of Buzz put this article out. Links in the show notes tonight. If you would like to buy the planet, Earth, this is how much you'd have to pay. That's 20 quadrillion, and I don't know what the rest is, almost 21 quadrillion ringgit to buy the planet Earth. You ever wonder how much the Earth would go for if you could put it on a platter and sell it off? Don't wonder anymore. Tree Hugger recently shared a valuation of the planet that we call Earth. And if you're going to want to, you're going to want to sit down for this one. The entire planet is said to be worth five quadrillion USD, which would be equal to about almost 21 quadrillion ringgit. That's our, our monetary denomination here in Malaysia. The most expensive planet in the solar system. Serious, huh? How calculated? Well, the valuation comes after an assistant professor of astronomy and astrophysics from the University of California, Greg Laughlin, came up with a special formula to determine the value of the world. Uh, the calculation is somewhat less scientific, but 
It takes into account things like size, mass, temperature, age, other elements that relate to its ability to sustain life. And to showcase just how expensive the Earth is, Laughlin also estimated the value of Mars to be of about 16,000 USD. That's it. Almost anybody could afford that. About 67,000 ringgit. Venus is worth one penny, one U.S. cent. Venus, a whole planet for one cent. He shared the numbers, although they can't be really applied in real life. But what his hope was in doing this was to inspire people to better appreciate the only home we have. Let's take care of it before somebody tries to sell it off. Fascinating, fascinating article. And thanks to the folks at, uh, at World of Buzz for that. That's uh, very, very cool. 21 quadrillion ringgit. I don't even think former prime ministers could afford that one. Oh. Did I say that? Yes. Okay, I'm going to say something else, and that's just how stupid some people can be. And yes, I said that. Again, thank you so much to World of Buzz, but this article has been all over social media here in Malaysia. It's been all over the news, and it's been all over the news mainly because People cannot believe exactly how stupid some people can be. And if you're listening from outside of Malaysia, you might want to sit down. According to the Kelantan Forestry Department director, logging is good for the tiger population. Look, y'all know I am a big supporter of endangered species. We have several here in Malaysia, including the Malaysian tiger. And these things, the more we go in and just strip mine their forests and destroy their environment, the less and less they're going to be until they're gone. And when they're gone, they are gone forever. And forever is a very long time. Several tigers have shown up recently. In fact, we shared some of that in our past shows near some Orang Asli villages. Uh, Orang Asli in Malaysia is the native people, the original. It's like sort of the American Indians in a sense. Uh, they've shown up near some villages in Kelantan in the past few weeks. Netizens were saying the appearance of the tigers, here's a shot actually of one in the bush, rather blurry one. The appearance of the tigers is because their habitat is getting destroyed by excessive logging activities. Um, the Kelantan Forestry Department has denied it. Not just denied it, but the director of the Forestry Department, whose name I will not say because I don't want to give him any credit because he doesn't deserve any, he said that the claims are untrue and logging in Kelantan is still in a controllable range. Well, if you've seen some of the overhead drone pictures of some of the places they're doing logging, you can tell that it is completely freaking out of control. He says, those of us at Kelantan always abide by the annual cut ration, CTT, that was set by the National Land Council. We will not go over the set rate, which is 
3,900 hectares per year. The logging is only done in permanent forest reserves, not permanent forest reserves protection, permanent forest reserves production. So the presence of tigers, according to this guy, has nothing to do with logging. Other than that, the director said logging is actually good for the tiger population. I can't believe I'm saying this. According to a study, based on research, the effect of logging can cause small young plants to grow, which will attract prey for the tigers to hunt easily. What you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. And I think that just about sums it up. Honestly, I, I, I'm just not even going to go there because it's beyond stupid. Okay. Uh, this is not beyond stupid. This is freaky. Got another great one. It's from uh, allthatsinteresting.com. Really cool website. Check it out. The link to all this stuff is in our show notes right down below here in our description. So you can read the whole article and check out the pictures and things. But um, this is weird. Time travel? Could be. Did you ever hear of the chronovisor? Well, check out this link in our show notes. Again, it's from allthatsinteresting.com. The legend of the chronovisor, a time machine supposedly hidden in the Vatican from the 1860s until the 1990s. I'm sorry, 1960s till the 1990s, so for 30-some-odd years. Father Pellegrino Ornetti claimed that he helped create a time machine called the Chronovisor, which he used to, to observe the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This is Father Ernetti in this picture here. Uh, from the unsolved disappearance of Emanuela Orlandi in 1983, to a covert collection of documents known as the Apostolic Archive. The Vatican's history is full of secrets. We know that for a fact. And all of the Vatican's purported secrets, of all of them, none may be more bizarre than the legend of the Chronovisor. Uh, it is just a legend. No one has ever actually seen it. Uh, this priest claims to have not only seen it, but used it. The chron Why are you reading that? Stop reading that. I didn't ask you to read that. Stop. Okay. It's a device that says it gives the user the ability to see through time. Through the existence of the, although the existence of the chronovisor has never been proven, a 2002 book by Vatican priest Father Francois Brunet says otherwise. According to Brunet, the chronovisor was developed by Father 
Ernetti, a Benedictine monk, he allegedly keep the, kept the device secret until the early 1960s when he confided in Brunet and told him that 12 scientists, including physicist Enrico Fermi and former Nazi scientist Werner von Braun, had helped him to build it. How weird is that? Uh, made out of cathode rays, antenna, and metals that receive sound and light signals on all wavelengths, it purportedly allows the team of scientists doc- to document events way in the past, including the crucifixion of Christ. The machine, therefore, could validate the teachings of the Bible simply by providing a first-hand look into the past. Very weird. Very weird. Uh, he, uh, the de facto resource is Brunei, uh, Brunei's 2002 book, Le Nouveau Mystery du Vatican. In it, I said that wrong, but I don't care. <laughs> it explains how he met Father Ernetti on a boat across the Venice Grand Canal in the 60s. And he was very well versed in the history of ancient languages, which made for a natural conversation. But soon their chat turned to science, and he'd been expounding on the many ways in which the Christian Bible could be interpreted when Ernetti suggested he had accessed the truth via a time-traveling device. He claimed he and a group of renowned scientists came together in a mutual quest to uncover the past. One of those scientists was Fermi, who won... Oh, man, now I completely lost my place, and I don't know why this thing is doing this auto-read. Of all the Vatican's purported secrets, none more strange than the chronovisor. And uh, he had access to the device. He claimed a group of scientists came together, and one won the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1938, another ex-Nazi von Braun, whose work, of course, with NASA got men to the moon. So anyway, fascinating article, very cool. Uh, Oops, sorry, wrong button. (laughs) All right, uh, that's annoying that it's doing this auto-read, and I don't know why. So anyway, uh, do check it out. The link's in the show notes. There's more details in the article. It's really rather cool. All right, if you could travel in time, where would you go? If you could pick one, one time to go and actually watch some event in history, in the past, happen, what would you like to go and see? I'm not sure what my answer would be. I, I honestly don't know. There's so many to pick from. Okay, Chinese New Year is coming up. It starts uh, about a week from today, a week from yesterday, actually. I believe next Tuesday is the first day of uh, Chinese New Year, the Year of the Tiger. We did talk about the little bit on our last show. And it's always around this time where people have a real fear especially if you are 30-something and not married, of going back to your home. Because traditionally, if you don't know, for our listeners around the other parts of the planet, besides Malaysia and China and things, um, you balikampong, you go back to your hometown, and you get with all your family, and you all gather, and you celebrate the new year. And, of course, all the aunties and uncles and your mom and your dad are there. And the first question is, Where is your girlfriend, or where is your boyfriend, or why aren't you married yet? And it's always 
a source of stress and drama for guys and gals who've chosen to be single for whatever reason. Not ready yet, don't want to, for whatever the reason might be. They're always uncomfortable questions. Well, one enterprising Malaysian has come up with a way to possibly, or at least temporarily, help you solve that problem. This again from World of Buzz, links in the show notes, check out the whole story. Rent a boyfriend for Chinese New Year. Malaysian promotes himself as a boyfriend to rent in an over-the-top presentation. Uh, He actually put a PowerPoint together. And uh, yeah, this article shows you the whole PowerPoint. We've seen people go into extra lengths in hopes of finding their significant other. Uh, from advertising on a huge billboard, creating a website, vending machines. But this Twitter user decided to promote himself using an over-the-top PowerPoint presentation in an all-out effort to find a partner this coming Chinese New Year. Here's his renting a boyfriend, the economical answer to Chinese New Year 2022. Uh, Twitter user Arthur Yo is the mastermind behind this creative pitch, presented the slides as if it was an actual business pitch, uh, complete with graphs and charts. He even named his make-believe company Pain & Co. (laughs) Renting a boyfriend. He mentions that he made it out of a massive explosion of chaotic energy. However, I think we can all agree he's done an amazing job. Here's another part of the, uh, the PowerPoint presentation. Shows you all the, all the USPs, the unique selling points, and all the benefits and, of renting him as a boyfriend. Uh, General Facts made his own statistics, which he included in a number of charts. Parents want a respectable occupation. Youths just want enough sleep. <laughs> his first slide highlighted the clear expectation mismatch between what youths want and what the parents want. And according to Arthur, a whopping 80% of young adults get questioned by relatives for not having a partner for Chinese New Year. Interest begins to increase around 18 to 25-year-old and peaks from 26 to 30 years old. Key drivers include grandparents looking for great-grandchildren, Chinese New Year chatter fodder, and ancestral peer pressure. (laughs) While afflicted by the global supply chain, there is always a rental market. And so, there has been a price increase too. 884% price increase for rental services through Taobao. (laughs) Auntie Killer, if you don't fall for me, she will. And there is a special price. It's only 88 ringgit a day. Now, at the exchange rate, that would be about what? Maybe 20 USD? Less? 15 USD? So for 15 USD, you can rent this guy to be your boyfriend for the day. Or maybe for a couple of a few days. At that price, pretty cheap. 88 ringgit a day. That's not bad. That's an okay price. <laughs> if you're interested, the link is in the show notes. You can get a hold of, what was his name? Andrew, I guess. And, uh, you know, maybe hook up. I assume it's just one customer one time because once he's rented out, there's only one of them. So good luck with that, Andrew. 
More power to you. <laughs> oh, man. It's inventive. I'll give him that much. <laughs> All right. We've got uh, <laughs> got to move on to our book tonight. And uh, as you know, we are uh, we're reading Tom Sawyer. And we've blown our way through nine chapters. We're on chapter 10 in uh, Tom Sawyer. And uh, we're going to continue that tonight. And uh, on we go with uh, chapter 10. We'll close out our show after this. In our last chapter, in our last episode, in our last episode, the boys, Tom and, was it Tom and Huck, right, witnessed a murder in the graveyard with Injun Joe and a few other baddies while they were robbing a grave. So chapter 10 picks up where chapter 9 left off. The two boys flew on and on towards the village, speechless with horror. They glanced backward over their shoulders from time to time, apprehensively, as, as if they feared they might be being followed. Every stump that started up in their path seemed a man and an enemy and made them catch their breath. And as they sped by some outlying cottages that lay near the village, the barking of the aroused watchdog seemed to give wings to their feet. If we could only get to the old tannery before we break down, whispered Tom, in short catches between breaths. I can't stand it much longer. Huckleberry's hard pantings were his only reply. And the boys fixed their eyes on the goal of their hopes and bent to their work to win it. They gained steadily on it, and at last, breast to breast, they burst through the open door and fell grateful and exhausted in the sheltering shadows beyond. By and by, their pulses slowed down, and Tom whispered, Huckleberry, what do you reckon will come of this? Well, if Dr. Robinson dies, I reckon hanging will come of it. Do you, though? Why, I know it, Tom. Tom thought a while and then said, Who'll tell? We? What are you talking about? Suppose something happened and Injun Joe didn't hang. Why, he'd kill us sometime or another, just as sure dead as we're laying here. That's just what I was thinking to myself, Huck. If anybody tells, let Muff Potter do it. He's fool enough. He's generally drunk enough. Tom said nothing and went on thinking. Presently, he whispered, Huck, Muff Potter don't know it. How can he tell? What's the reason he don't know it? Because he just got a whack when Injun Joe done it. Do you reckon he could see anything? Do you reckon he'd know anything? By hokey, that's so, Tom. And besides, look here, maybe that whack done for him. Nah, tain't likely, Tom. He had liquor in him, I couldn't see that. And besides, he always has. Well, when Pap's full, you might take and belt him over the head with the church. and You couldn't faze him. He says so his own self. So it's the same with Muff Potter, of course. If a man was dead sober, I reckon maybe that whack might have fetched him. I don't know. Another reflective silence, and then Tom said, Hucky, 
You sure you can keep mum? Tom, we gotta keep mum. You know that. That engine devil would make more of drowning us than a couple of cats if we was to squeak about this and they didn't hang him. Now, look a here, Tom. Less than take a swear to one another. That's what we gotta do, swear to keep mum. I'm agreed. It's the best thing. Would you just hold hands and swear that we... No, 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 no. That won't do for this. That's good enough for little rubbishy common things, but especially with gals, because they go back on you anyway and blab if they get in the huff. But there ought to be writing about a big thing like this. A and blood. Tom's whole being applauded this idea. It was deep dark and awful. The hour, the circumstances, the surroundings were in keeping with it. He picked up a clean pine shingle that lay in the moonlight, took a little fragment of red keel out of his pocket, got the moon on his work, and painfully scrawled these lines, emphasizing each slow downstroke by clamping his tongue between his teeth and letting up on the pressure on the upstrokes. Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer swears they will keep mum about this and they wish they may drop down dead in their tracks if they ever tell and rot. Huckleberry was filled with admiration of Tom's facility in writing and the sublimity of his writing. He at once took a pin from his lapel and was going to prick his flesh, but Tom said, Hold on, don't do that. A pin's brass. It might have verdigris in it. What's verdigris? Poison. That's what it is. You swallow some of it once, you'll see. So Tom unwound the thread from one of his needles, and each boy pricked the ball of his thumb and squeezed out a drop of blood. In time, after many squeezes, Tom managed to sign his initials, using the ball of his little finger for a pen. And then he showed Huckleberry how to make an H and an F, and the oath was complete. They buried the shingle close to the wall with some dismal ceremonies and incantations, and the fetters that bound their tongues were considered to be locked, and the key thrown away. A figure crept stealthily through the break in the other end of the ruined building now, but they didn't notice it. Tom, whispered Huckleberry, does this keep us from ever telling? Always? Of course it does. It don't make any difference what happens. We gotta keep mum. We drop down dead. Don't you know that? Yes, I reckon so. They continued to whisper for some time, and presently a dog set up a long, lugubrious howl just outside, within ten feet of them. The boys clasped each other suddenly in an agony of fright. "'Which of us does he mean?' gasped Huckleberry. "'I don't know. Peep through the crack, quick!' "'No, you, Tom. I, I, I can't. I can't do it, Huck. "'Please, Tom, there tis again.' Oh, Lordy, I'm thankful, whispered Tom. I know his voice. It's Bill Harbison. 
if Mr. Harbison owned a slave named Bull, Tom would have spoken of him as Harbison's Bull, but a son or a dog of that name was Bull Harbison. Oh, that's good, I tell you, Tom. I, I was most scared to death. I'd bet anything it was a stray dog. The dog howled again, and the boy's hearts sank once more. Oh, my, that ain't no Bull Harbison, whispered Huckleberry. Do, Tom. Tom, quaking with fear, yielded as put his eyes to the crack. His whisper was hardly audible when he said, Oh, Huck, it's a stray dog. Quick, Tom, quick, what does that mean? Huck, he must mean us both. We're right together. Oh, Tom, I reckon we're goners. I reckon there ain't no mistake about where I'll go. I've been so wicked. Dad, fetch it. This comes of playing hooky and doing everything's a fella told not to do. I might have been good like Sid if I'd tried, but no, I, I wouldn't, of course. Uh, but if I ever get off this time, I'll, I'll just waller in Sunday schools. And Tom began to sniffle a little. You're bad, said Huckleberry, beginning to snuffle too. Consound it, Tom Sawyer, you're just old pie. Long aside, oh, what I am, oh, oh, lordy, lordy. I wish I hadn't had half your chance. Tom choked off and whispered, Look, Hucky, look, he's got his back to us. Hucky looked with joy in his heart. Well, he has, by jingos, did he before? Yes, he did, but I, like a fool, never thought. Oh, ah, this is bully, you know, now who can he mean? The howling stopped. Tom pricked up his ears. Shh, what's that? He whispered. Sounds like hogs grunting. No, it's somebody snoring, Tom. That is it. Whereabouts is it, Huck? I believe it's down at the other end. Sounds so, anyway. Pap used to sleep there sometimes, along with the hogs, but laws bless you. He just lifts things when he snores. Besides, I reckon he ain't ever coming back to this town anymore. The spirit of adventure rose in the boys' souls once more. Hucky, do you dast go if I lead? Mm, I don't like too much, Tom. Suppose it's Injun Joe. Tom quailed. But presently the temptation rose up strong again, and the boys agreed to try with the understanding that they would take to their heels if the snoring stopped. So they tiptoed stealthily down, one behind the other, and when they had got to within five steps of the snorer, Tom stepped on a stick, and it broke with a sharp snap. The man moaned, writhed a little, and his face came into the moonlight. It was Muff Potter. The boys' hearts had stood still, and their hopes, too. When the man moved, but their fears passed away now, they tiptoed out through the broken weatherboarding and stopped a little distance to exchange a parting word. That long, lugubrious howl rose on the night air again. They turned and saw the strange dog standing with a few feet 
where Potter was lying and facing Potter with his nose pointing heavenward. Oh, gee, Minnie, it's him, exclaimed both boys in a breath. Say, Tom, they say a stray dog come howling around Johnny Miller's house, but about midnight, as, as much as two weeks ago, and, and a whippoorwill come and lit on the banister and sung the very same evening, and there ain't nobody dead there yet. Well, I know that. Suppose there ain't. Didn't Gracie Miller fall in the kitchen fire and burn herself terrible the very next Saturday? Well, yes, but she ain't dead. And what's more, she's getting better, too. All right, you wait and see. She's a goner. Just as dead sure as Muff Potter's a goner. That's what the niggers say. They know about all these things, Huck. Then they separated, cogitating when Tom crept in at his bedroom window the night was almost spent. He undressed with excessive caution and fell asleep, congratulating himself that nobody knew of his escapade. He was not aware that the gently snoring Sid was awake and had been for over an hour. When Tom awoke, Sid was dressed and gone. There was a late look in the light, a late sense in the atmosphere. He, he was startled. Why had he not been called, persecuted, till he was up as usual? The thought filled him with bodings. Within five minutes he was dressed and downstairs, feeling sore and drowsy. The family were still at the table, but they'd finished breakfast. There was no voice of rebuke, but there were averted eyes. There was a silence and an air of solemnity that struck a chill to the culprit's heart. He sat down and tried to seem gay, but it was uphill work. It roused no smile, no response, and he lapsed into silence and let his heart sink down to the depths. After breakfast, his aunt took him aside, and Tom almost brightened in the hope that he was going to be flogged, but it was not so. His aunt wept over him and asked him how he could go and break her old heart so. Finally told him to go on and ruin himself, bring her gray hairs for sorrow to the grave, but it was no use for her to try any more. This was worse than a thousand whippings, and Tom's heart was sorer now than his whole body. He cried. He pled for forgiveness, promised to reform over and over again, and then received his dismal feeling that he had won, but an imperfect forgiveness, and established but a feeble confidence. He left the presence too miserable to even feel revengeful towards Sid, and so the latter's prompt retreat through the back gate was unnecessary. He moped to school gloomy and sad, took his flogging along with Joe Harper for playing hooky the day before, with the air of one of those whose heart was busier with heavier woes and wholly dead to trifles. He then betook himself to his seat, rested his elbows on his desk and his jaw on his hands, stared at the wall with the stony stare of suffering that has reached the limit and can go no further. 
His elbow was pressing against some hard substance. After a long time, he slowly and sadly changed his position, took up this object with a sigh. It was in a paper. He unrolled it. A long, lingering, colossal sigh followed, and his heart broke. It was his brass and iron knob. This final feather broke the camel's back. Wow. That's chapter 10 of Tom Sawyer. How about that? All right. We'll pick up and uh, give you chapter 11 in our next stream on Wednesday. Wednesday night? No, Saturday night. This is Wednesday. Way to keep up, Jay. All right, friends, thanks so much for uh, for joining, and I will see you again. Thanks for the likes, subscribes, follows, really just a click of the button, costs nothing, and it really helps the show a lot. I will see you uh, Saturday night. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week. I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants. Good night. Yeah.